Oh, yes. Good morning, everybody. How you doing? Wasn't the worship just beautiful this morning? Presence of God in the place. And I just, wanted, I just felt one prophetic word I needed to share before we jump into the word, and that's for Sarah Baker. Who loves Sarah? If you've been around a while, you know she's a missionary from our house, very much loved and part of the Liberty family, but in Mumbai these days. And, uh, Sarah, I just I had, a, <laughs> had a vision for you. As This is a great way to start a message, crying. This is great. So I, yeah, I had a vision as I, I prayed for you earlier in the service of you. Um, you'd arrive somewhere. You're at the airport, the luggage carousel, and uh, you're walking away, and somebody says to you, oh, you left these behind. You left your bags on the carousel. And you said... I meant to leave them behind. And I just believe that God is doing something new in this season where you're being very intentional about what you're leaving behind in your new season, what you're determining that I'm just not taking that with me. And so, Father, we just release that word to her to be a blessing. Speak to her Holy Spirit about what is to go into her future and what is not and what she was meant to leave behind. And others might look on and not understand, but you have set her free. And who the Son of Man sets free is free indeed. We declare freedom. A new day, a new beginning in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we just love on her for a second? You're amazing. We're proud of you and we love you. All right, church. Why don't you take a seat? <laughs> well, as JR said, we... Uh, kicking off a new series today called Life and Death. And uh, really throughout the whole month of April, including the Easter weekend, uh, we're going to be speaking about the life and then the death and then the life again of Jesus Christ and how his life and death and life again are a matter of life and death for you and I. It's important for us to be reminded of the centrality of Jesus to everything that we do and are, to everything that we believe. In fact, even the mission of our church, it's really simple. Our hope for every person who calls Liberty Church home is that they'd follow Jesus, thrive in community, and make a difference. And I believe on some level, all of us, whether you would call yourself a follower of Jesus or not today, desire to make a difference, but I do believe it with all my heart that actually the beginning of that is, is to follow Jesus, his life and his example. And so this month, we're not only going to follow some of the key events in the life of Jesus, but more, more importantly, maybe in terms of the impact on each of us, is we're going to consider the relevance, the significance of each of those events to the way that we follow him and the way that we live out our lives today. And we're going to begin in the first message in the series with a message on incarnation. Incarnation. We're going to look at the miraculous birth of Jesus, how his life made a way of salvation and hope for all of us. And we're going to turn to a well-known passage in John chapter 1. In verse 14, it says this, John 1, 14 in the NIV translation says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory. Man, that's a, what a beautiful thought that is. Thanks to the incarnation, the Word becoming flesh and making His dwelling among us, we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, 
who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Think about that for a minute. What did Jesus bring full? It says he was full of grace and truth. Now John testified concerning him. This is his cousin John, John the Baptist, we often call him. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. And if you think that's confusing, imagine how confusing it must have been for John to have been before, born before Jesus. He's the older cousin, but Jesus is God, so he existed before John. So John's like the forerunner to the guy that was already there. That's what he's trying to explain here. It says, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of the grace already given, which is what? The law. That was the first grace given. It says the law was given through Moses. It says the, uh, the law given through Moses, through all that, through all, all have received grace. Oh, sorry, no, I, I skipped a line, didn't I? All through the law. <laughs> I'm making up the Bible here, careful. <laughs> For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through who? Jesus Christ. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. See, the incarnation is not just a theological, theoretical, kind of a truth, head knowledge for us here today. We've got to understand what the powerful significance of the incarnation is to you and I today. Because this passage alone reveals to us that Jesus came to show us his glory. It shows us that Jesus comes, I love this, both full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. That's who Jesus is, full of both grace and truth. And then it says here at the end of this passage in verse 18 that Jesus comes to make the Father known. What was the reason for the incarnation? It was for you and I. That out of God's great love for humanity, he sent his son, born of a virgin, to dwell among us and provide a way of salvation for all. Jesus, Emmanuel. I love that. It's my favorite name. Emmanuel. Because you know what it means? God with us. God with us. God had always been for us. But in Jesus, we had God with us. I think about that moment of incarnation. I think about the birth of Jesus. Births are really special things. Births are special. I, you know, I've had the privilege through our four children of being there for four births. And there's all this anticipation. From the moment you know you're pregnant, you're thinking about the birth. And you're counting down the months and then the weeks, the days. I mean, at the end, you're counting down the minutes between contractions, right? It's all this built-up expectation kind of surreal, actually, to be there in that moment, the first time that you see them, first time that you hold them, the first time those little eyes lock eyes with yours. Think about Finley. She's here on the front row. I remember her birth because she's, she's our third. We had two boys, Ezekiel and then Jesse. So I'd been a part, but every birth is special. Every birth is unique. And I remember one thing that was like really different when she was born, so that you know they, the, the nurses, you know, they 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 wrap them and they hand them to you, and she started to cry. And nobody had to train me on this. Something instinctive just overcame me in that moment. As she started to cry, I bundled her up close and I heard myself. You ever listen to yourself, like have an out-of-body experience? Like, wait, what's happening? I heard myself saying, There, there, baby girl, it's okay. Daddy's here. I was like, 
Now, I've never done that with the boys. I was like, come on, yeah, it's okay. Like a little tough love, right? Right from the, but Finley, I was like, oh no, I'm toast. This is gonna be bad. I'm not gonna be able to say no to this one, am I, sweetheart? <laughs> but I realized in that moment, there was something really beautiful, something really special that was happening as I looked at her and fell instantly in love. It's like there was more love to share, right? I think how special that moment was. And then I think, what would it have been like to be there for the birth of Jesus? So, I mean, talk about anticipation. What in the world? Centuries, millions waiting on that moment. Generations waiting on the Christ. I can't even imagine what it would have been like to be there for the birth of Christ. This moment when God himself came down. Talk about wonder. <laughs> And then the angels and the star and everything about that moment and the, and the mystery, it's still a mystery that God would come. That God, listen, that God would allow himself to be born. Right. Has anybody ever, like, let's think this through, folks. This is a big deal. Yeah. God will allow him, the one who created everything would take on all the restraint of a little helpless child. So this all reminds us of some pretty important truths that if you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write down this morning. And the first truth I want to remind us of this morning is that Jesus is the Son of God, miraculously born of a virgin. Even the very circumstances of his conception, let alone his birth, his very entrance into the world was miraculous. It says in Matthew 1.18, says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. She's engaged. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Anybody think that must have been an interesting conversation? But her, it says, it says, uh, it says but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now it says, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law... And yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. So he's honorable. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Because listen, what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And all this, the Bible says, took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, which is what? The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded, took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Culturally, the impact of this moment is significant. It's no small thing. What took place here and the amount of faith and trust it took in God and his plans for them to navigate what was a traumatic, really culturally shameful moment in terms of what people would have made this mean. You know, Joseph, walking as a man of honor, trying to honor the Lord and yet not bring shame on his wife, navigating this moment. 
You know, no wonder Joseph needed an angelic visitation too. We're going to read Mary's in a minute, but he needed his own word from God to figure out what do I do in this circumstance? How do I explain to people? Yeah, well, she got pregnant, but it was God. Like, how am I, how am I going to explain that? How am I going to explain that? And yet Jesus, everything about him, even down to this conception and his birth was fulfillment of prophecy after prophecy, centuries old prophecies, so specific that God would honor and keep his word and confirm Jesus as the Messiah. Now, Luke's gospel account gives us a little more context. Luke uh, chapter 1, verse 29 onward says, Mary, this is Mary's moment, she was greatly troubled at his words, the angel's words, wondering what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, don't be afraid. By the way, you notice the angel says that to both of them. Don't be afraid to take her as your wife. Don't be afraid at my coming. It says, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How, how will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was unable to conceive is in her sixth month. This is speaking of John the Baptist. For no word from God will ever fail. And listen to Mary's response. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. I think it's the New King James where she says, may it be according to your word. It says, and then the angel left her. Man, what a heart response from Mary. I want to have that kind of faith that when God says, here's what I want to do, I could say, let it be. May it be according to your word. May your word be fulfilled. J.I. Packer writing on this moment says, the Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as this truth of the incarnation. Isn't that a fact? It's a wonder. When we really press into it, you know, one of the dangers that we face is that we almost get inoculated against the power of the gospel. You know what I mean by inoculated? You know, when they try and protect you from disease, they give you just a little bit so your body builds up its immunities. I feel like sometimes we sing a few Christmas carols about this stuff. Read the gospel a little bit, you don't press into the wonder and the mystery of this. And we almost get inoculated against the power, the wonder, the mystery of this truth. Jesus was no ordinary man. And yet, Jesus was fully man. That's a mystery. He's fully God and all at once fully man. So no wonder he referred to himself on different occasions as both the Son of God and the Son of Man. He was both and. And the very circumstances of his conception even were miraculous. That's the first truth this morning. Second truth is that through Jesus coming to earth and living among us, God revealed himself to humanity. Through this incarnation, in other words, God was revealing himself to you and I. You know, incarnate literally means in flesh. In the flesh, this is God now in the flesh. 
So God made himself known to humanity through the person of Jesus. You know, in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, no one saw God. And now suddenly God has come. God has, in a sense, put on flesh, made his dwelling among us. And then now, thanks to the incarnation, if you want to know what God is like, you need look no further than Jesus. Through Jesus, we can know the heart of God. Isn't that good news? Through Jesus, we can know the ways of God. Through Jesus, we can hear and understand the voice of God. And in following Jesus, we can follow the ways of the Father. You know, John 1:14 in the message translation says it this way: it says, The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Isn't that good? We saw the glory with our own eyes, the glory, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. You know, in the incarnation, God moved into the neighborhood. God cared enough to come, to step into our mess with us, to be among us. And isn't that the beautiful power of incarnation. And frankly, one of the reasons this is so significant to us today is that not only did God do that, but he expects us to do the same. He he expects us to live out an incarnational, in-the-flesh ministry in our own neighborhoods. You know, years ago, before, you know, many of you perhaps were even a part of our church, over the years we've been very involved in different things with missions, and there was a season where God had opened a door for us to do a lot of work in Zimbabwe. And, uh, it began slowly with some sponsorship opportunities, and then I went on a trip, and then I took a team, and over time, our short-term opportunities developed into a partnership, and we got into like a three-way partnership there. And uh, I was going twice a year. We were taking teams, sending teams. In fact, at one stage, we were even on the verge of maybe having a Liberty Church in Zimbabwe. And overnight, through circumstances completely beyond our control, the door just suddenly closed. One of the partners changed their direction, their plan, walked back three years of what they were doing, and it all shut. And the doors were closed, and you know what hit me? It wasn't, it wasn't disappointment around the strategy. It wasn't, you know, the finances that we'd invested. It wasn't the time. You know what, what it was that broke me up? I grieved. I mean, I grieved hard, because I'd eaten in their homes, I loved on and hugged these kids and played soccer and done life together. The, the grief wasn't, you know, it was personal. That's what I'm trying to say. It was personal. That's what it was. It wasn't just some far-flung idea. It wasn't just some missions check-a-box opportunity. It had become flesh and blood. Does that make sense? And it ought to be that way. You know, praise God for missions, offerings, and, and sending finance to places, but there's nothing like person-on-person, There's nothing like incarnational ministry. And even in that sadness, you know, God brought so much. I mean, Liberty Manzini was actually born out of what appeared to be a closed door, became a pivot to an incredible God-ordained new opportunity that's been nothing but the blessing. But you know also what came out of that is one of our newest staff members in Manzini, Victor. You may not know this. Victor Nira, who's now our student ministries director in Manzini, was from Zimbabwe. In fact, he was from that very neighborhood, Southtown, just outside of Bulawayo in the south of Zimbabwe. And years ago, if you went back to like 2012, 2013 on a vision video, you would see him as a teenager because we had helped his family finish their house. 
single mom, multiple kids, struggling with all kinds of challenges. And who would have known, God, (laughs) that through all of these circumstances, as one door closed and another opened, that he would move to Manzini, join our internship program, meet this amazing young woman. Last October, when I was on the trip, I had the privilege to do their wedding for Victor and Glebo and uh, celebrate together with them. And then now that they are like leading our student ministries and our internship together, I just think this is the power, though, of doing ministry incarnationally. Amen? If you ever have an idea about God, ask yourself the question, ask yourself the question, is that what I see in Jesus? Sometimes we get these funny ideas about God, hand-me-down, half-baked, you know, only vaguely theological kind of ideas, things that we hear, things that we Google, heaven help us. <laughs> is that what I see in Jesus? Because Jesus is God in the flesh. You know, one of the disciples was confused about what the Father was like. And in John 14, 9, Jesus, having spent time with him, he says this. He says, don't you know me, Philip? <laughs> Even after I've been among you, this is John 14, 9. Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? So ask yourself the question, what's Jesus like? Well, Jesus was a friend of sinners, right? Jesus was moved with compassion. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Want to know what the Father's like? Look at what Jesus is like. John 1.18 says, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. You ever had an experience where you met someone in person for the first time that you'd communicated with some other way first? Like ever emailed with someone or followed them on social media or you've just spoken with somebody on the phone and in your mind you kind of build up an idea of what they're like? based on maybe their style of writing or what their voice sounds like. And then you meet them in person and you're like, you have like that minute of like, oh, you're not what I expected. This is what Jesus came to disrupt with our picture of the Father. Because I think we build it up in our mind, what the Father is like. I've often had that. You know, when you meet somebody, you're like, oh, you're not at all what I expected. I think we have that in life sometimes when we meet somebody who represents a group that we have ideas about the group, right? A certain person who votes a certain way, certain race, people, a certain organization, right? We have a certain generation, our millennials, old people, whatever it is that we say, right? <laughs> Isn't it true that we use these like labels? And then we build, and then, and then somebody dares to be incarnate, come into our world and disrupt all of our biases and judgments and assumptions. And it's true though, right? Easy to have these opinions. Easy to have these ideas that we throw out. I think the significance for you and I is not only that Jesus revealed God to humanity, but that you and I now are called to reveal God to humanity in turn. So are we living in such a way that it would reveal the heart of God to our neighbor? That's a high bar. Are we living in such a way as that it breaks down the barriers and the biases that people carry toward the church? Or are we, frankly, reinforcing those barriers and living out those very stereotypes that have driven people from the arms of God? We've got to work to change that, amen? Number three, 
is we have a Savior who empathizes with our weaknesses and offers us mercy and grace. He empathizes. Thanks to the incarnation, Jesus has empathy. He has literally walked a mile in our shoes. And, and out of that, he offers us mercy and grace. Hebrews 4.14 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest, a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet did not sin. Do you hear that? Because Jesus came and took on the restriction, the limitation of the flesh, fully God and yet fully man. He can empathize with our weaknesses, has faced the very temptations that we face and yet did not sin. It says, therefore, let us then approach God's throne of grace with what? With confidence. With confidence. Why? Because of who your great high priest is, Jesus. We can approach with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The Bible here is saying that Jesus is our great high priest. You know, the, the high priest was a very special role in the Old Testament. The first high priest is Aaron brother of Moses, and the, the job of the, the high priest is very special. You know, the, the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies just once a year on the Day of Atonement. They'd sprinkle the blood of animals, both for, both for their own sin, for the priest and his family, and for the people of God, and offer incense on the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. And, and yet Jesus is called now not just our high priest, but our great high priest. Because the difference now is here comes Jesus, here comes Jesus to offer, not an animal sacrifice, to offer himself, sinless. He is now the great sacrifice. And listen, he's the sacrifice once and for all. Unlike the earthly priest before him, and then he ascends to heaven, where we'll end this month. He ascends to heaven to intercede for you and I. Empathy's powerful, isn't it? He can empathize. Empathy is so powerful, and it is all too often lacking in our world today. Empathy. Scripture reminds us that Jesus empathizes with our weakness. In other words, with the human condition. And he empathizes with temptation, even though he himself did not sin. Hebrews 2.17 says, For this reason, he had to be made like them, like us, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. And that he might make atonement. Literally, in a sense, pay our ransom, pay for, buy back us for the sins of the people. He'd make atonement for us. Philippians 2.7 in the Amplified says, it says, but, but he stripped himself of all privileges and rightful dignity. This is in the Amplified translation. Of all privileges and rightful dignity, so as to assume the guise of a servant, slave, in that he became like man, and was born a human being. Have you ever considered the messiness of the incarnation? It's messy. I mean, let's like press into it for a minute. Of all the places to come, okay, you're God. You can pick any landing point in all of history. So he picks Middle Eastern 
first century Roman occupied, like of all the places where you would think, like if I've got to experience earth, I mean, he's like up there, streets of gold, angels. It's like of all the landing points, like God does not pick necessarily the most comfortable, the most convenient moment of history to step in. I mean, he's born in a manger. I mean, he's God. He could demand the best of the best. I mean, still nothing on earth would compare to what he's already got in heaven, but he doesn't even get like a good version of birth on earth, right? It's not like a good hospital. You know what I mean? It's not the best people waiting on him. No room service for the parents, right? He can't, you know, manger for crying out loud because there's no room at the inn, which in a way feels to me kind of prophetic of what the whole earth's response in the end would be to the message of Jesus, kind of no room at the end would end up being a pretty good summary of how his generation embraced him on the whole. And then think about this. Then he apprentices as a carpenter. And we're like, yeah, 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 stop. This is God, okay? God got a trade. Does anybody else think that's crazy? Like God, God learned how to, you know, make coffee tables and I can't even, the one who owns everything, everything, gets a trade. Streets align with gold and he gets a trade. He pays taxes. He made everything and he pays taxes. <laughs> In the creation he created. One time he does it creatively. I don't know if you read the story. He gets the fish disciples out. They catch a fish. The money's in there. He's just reminding everyone, you know, I'm doing this, but also I made everything. Still honored the earthly authority. Jesus walks everywhere. Walks. He doesn't even come in a day with like cars or planes or Wi-Fi. Walks everywhere. Preachers without sound systems. And you get what I'm saying, right? Put yourself in it for a moment. He stepped into our mess with all the empathy of a loving, gracious Savior. In fact, I was reading in my devotions this morning. I read the end of Psalm 85. And it says this, it says at the end of Psalm 85, verse 13, it says, righteousness goes as a herald before him, preparing the way for his steps. I thought, that's a beautiful metaphor. I was like, no, 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 no. No, this is literal. The righteousness, Jesus is our righteousness. The righteousness of God. God is holy. And unless righteousness goes before him, God's not coming. You know, we'd be struck dead in his presence if his righteousness wasn't the herald. Literally, Jesus, our righteousness went first so we could encounter a living, loving God. Number four, it's during the incarnation of Jesus, God revealed his unrelenting love to humanity. His unrelenting love. Some people think of incarnation as as a a representation of the power of God. And and granted, it is that. But to me, it's much more a picture of the love of God. That God drew near to us through the birth of Jesus. That God wants to be intimately involved in our lives. That he wants to lead us every step of the way. That he loved us and wanted to be with us so deeply that he would send his son to physically walk the earth. And that he's still with us today through his spirit within us. John 3.16, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, says in the New Living, it says, For this is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. God so loved that He gave. That's what the incarnation represents for you and I. How did God love the world? Not from afar. He loved the world by coming. 
Billy Graham said the very purpose of Christ coming into the world was that he might offer up his life as a sacrifice for the sins of man. He came to die. He came to die. It was his literal purpose and expression of God's love. The love of God, listen, is unrelenting. I've been studying my way through the Psalms lately, and I notice in the New Living Translation how often it uses the phrase unfailing love. I love that. In fact, I, I looked it up yesterday, 73 times in the Psalms alone, it says the unfailing love of God. You know, in my darkest, in my weakest, in my lowest moments, when I felt unlovable, I've been so grateful for a wife to show me love. When I haven't felt lovable, Andy has been an expression to me, loved me, shown me the love of God. Amen. We need to experience love in the flesh. And how much more, even in our imperfection, each of us loving each other and trying to outwork the love of God in the flesh, how much more is Jesus for all of us and for all generations an expression of God's love? He doesn't just tell us his love. He showed us love. And Jesus showed how he loves when he touched the leper. Jesus showed how he loved when he defended the woman caught in the act of adultery and says, go and sin no more, neither do I condemn you. He showed us love to the woman at the well. He showed us love more than anything on the cross. He showed us love. 1 John 4 says, this is love. He loved us long before we loved him. What a display of love the incarnation is, Amen. Anne Voskamp, I love her writing. She says, God throws open the door of this world and enters as a baby, as the most vulnerable imaginable, because he wants unimaginable intimacy with you. What religion ever had a God that wanted such intimacy with us that he came with such vulnerability to us? What God ever came so tender that we could touch him, so fragile that we could break him, so vulnerable that his bare beating heart could be heard? Only the one who loves you to death. Isn't that the beauty of the incarnation, church? I'm going to pray in a minute. As I wrap up the message today, I really felt to read something over us. It's often called the Apostles' Creed. It was really one of the first foundational declarations of the, really the, the essence, the tenets of our faith and the gospel. And it says this. We'll have it on the screen. The Apostles' Creed says this. I believe... In God the Father, almighty maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father almighty, and from thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. The word Catholic here, lowercase c, means the universal, the whole church for all of time. The communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sin, the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Amen. And so this is what I felt to do as I close the message today. I actually, I would love us to pray a prayer together. I haven't done this before. I want to invite everybody, maybe you put your notes down. And can we stand I just want us to declare out by faith, if you would, maybe you would join with me in praying, repeating after me. It's a simple prayer of acknowledging the essence of the beauty of what we are remembering here today. 
in the incarnation. So why don't you pray after me these words? Thank you, Heavenly Father, for sending your Son, Jesus, to reveal who you are. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to die, for paying the ransom for my sin, for showing us the love of God. Holy Spirit, help me see the wonder of your grace. To know the power of your love. And to follow the ways of Jesus forever. Amen. Wouldn't it be a powerful practice to remind ourselves of that truth every day? C.S. Lewis said, the Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. So I want to pray and extend an invitation to you. I just want to ask every head to be bowed, every eye to be closed across this place. If you're here in the service this morning, if you're joining us on Liberty Live, and maybe today... So I share about Jesus and the gospel and the wonder of grace and the God who comes to seek and save. Maybe on some level in your heart you realize today, I'm not, I'm not right with God. I'm not following Jesus. I haven't asked for forgiveness of my sins. Or maybe you realize that there was a time in your life where you were maybe a follower of Christ and living for Him and maybe you lost your way, maybe something happened and today is the day to come home. I would love nothing more than to pray a prayer with you today. All across this place, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. And if you are in this place and you say today, Paul, when you pray, can you include me? I want to get my life right with God today. I want to invite him, Jesus, to be my Lord, my Savior, my King. I want to commit my way to him, turn from my old way of living and live in the ways of Jesus. Then I would love to pray for you right where you're standing today. Even those of you watching on Liberty Live, I'd love to pray this prayer by faith with you today, inviting you to give your heart and your life to Jesus. So this is what I want to do. If today you say, that's me. If you're here in the room, all I want you to do is just raise your hand up in the air. I'll see it, and you can put it down again, here and here and here. Are there others today? If you're joining us online, I know there's a little button there you can click as well to communicate with us. Click that and say, hey, I wanna, I'm praying this there. I see you there as well. Wonderful Jesus, beautiful Savior, loving King. Mm. You are good, Jesus. I've seen those hands. Why don't you put them down? And I'm going to lead the whole church in a prayer before I turn the service back over to the team as we invite Jesus in.